what a joy it is to be here. A real privilege uh, to share with you folks on your second anniversary. Um, as Angelo said, uh, we, we have been uh, supporting Angelo and his family for uh, quite a number of years. But uh, when Redeemer Bible Church was just a, a twinkle in Angelo's eye and we were praying with him about this, uh, this work, uh, before the folks came down from Vallejo, uh, we, we knew that we wanted to get behind Angelo. I've been a fan of his for a long time, and, and for a long time, I, I knew God had gifted him to preach and teach and, and pastor a church. So God is building his church. Christ is building his church here in Oceanside up in Middletown. So good to be here this morning. Well, let's get right to it. Um, I think the last time, Angelo, you heard me preach was a couple years ago. Um, it was a message I gave at the Exalting Christ Conference at Community Bible Church in Vallejo. I was preaching on Romans 8, 26 and 27, about how when we groan in our prayers to God, the, the promise there is the Holy Spirit groans with us in our groanings. He intercedes for us, Paul says, according to the will of God. So I was preaching about how the Spirit groans with us. Two days later, that was on a Thursday night, two days later, the Valley Fire swept through Lake County. At the time, it was the third largest fire in California history. Um, and Middletown was the epicenter, was the epicenter of that fire. 1,500 homes were destroyed. This is a county of 60,000 people in the whole county. 1,500 homes destroyed. Um, we were evacuated. Our family was evacuated. We lived in Santa Rosa in a motel for nine days. For the first three or four days, we didn't know if our own home stood. Uh, we'd seen on Fox News, national news, that our church and school had burnt down, which wasn't true. Um, fake news, that's what they call it. <laughs> for two weeks, we had no church. We had no internet. We had no power. We couldn't even go to the post office and get our mail. And, and we were groaning. We were groaning. As all of you know, about a month and a half ago, a fire hit Sonoma, Napa counties that made the Valley Fire look like a campfire. 3,000 homes destroyed, 7,500 buildings. Um, I know a pastor friend in Santa Rosa said 40 families in his church lost everything they own. Now, just imagine one or two families in this church. How devastating that would be just emotionally. Forty families. Uh, we were on evacuation notice in our little town for over a week. There were days when we literally could not go outside because the smoke was just suffocating. So I began getting calls from my pastor friends there, and they were groaning, and I was groaning in prayer with them, and they were saying, Doug, what do we do? What do we tell our people in a situation like this, people who have lost everything they own? And the question really boiled down to this, what does faith look like in this situation? What does it mean to trust God in this situation? And that really is the question for all of us, whatever we're going through in our lives, what does it mean to trust God now? In this situation, some of you are going through your own personal fires right now. It might be a, a health fire. It might be a financial fire. It, it might be a spiritual fire. What does it look like for you in that situation to keep a hold of your faith in God? 
Manny read to us from the 11th chapter of Hebrews. I'd like you to turn there with me again. Let's look at that because the writer of Hebrews really addresses head on this question. What does faith look like in a fire? Look at the very first verse, Hebrews 11, 1, and that gives us the definition of faith. Then we're going to jump down to verse 29 that shows faith fleshed out. Look at verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then go down to verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, oh God, you give the gift of faith. Father, it's not something we just, we hype ourselves into, Father. We can't, we can't look within ourselves for this, Father. You give us the gift to trust in you. And Father, we pray that you fan that flame of faith this morning, Father. Our faith is nothing. It's the object of our faith. You, a mighty God who can do anything, Father. And you're doing all things in your children's lives for good and for your glory. So, Father, we pray that you would, you would nurture and nourish our faith in you this morning, a God who can do mighty things. And, Father, we're seeing that right here this morning, right here this morning at Redeemer Bible Church. We're seeing what you've done, Father, apart from, apart from what we can do greater than we can ask or think. We thank you, Father, and we pray that you would illumine your word to our hearts this morning. Please do that. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, let's look at faith defined. Look at verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, this is an example of, of biblical parallelism. There are two statements that basically say the same thing in slightly different ways. So in the first phrase, the writer says, faith gives you assurance of something you hope for, but you don't yet hold in your hand. Faith is the assurance of that. And then faith gives you a conviction of the reality of something you can't see yet. Now the King James says, faith is the 
evidence of things not seen. I like that. It's the evidence of things not seen. So a person says to you, um, God doesn't exist. Heaven's not real. And you say, God exists. Heaven's real. I got the evidence. And they say, what evidence? And you say, my faith. My faith is the evidence. God's Word says it. I believe it. That's my evidence. Now, of course, God exists and heaven's real whether anybody believes it or not, right? But faith gives evidence to the heart and mind. It gives a reality to what God has spoken. Look at verse 26 here. Speaking of Moses, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, and this is why, for he was looking to the reward. So Moses was a prince of Egypt, right? You've, you've seen the cartoon. He's a prince of Egypt. He could have lived the rest of his life in the lap of luxury. He had it made. But he walked away from all the material things that he could touch and see because he believed in a promised Messiah who wouldn't come to earth for more than 1,400 years, but Moses had the evidence in God's Word. Now, you know people who will say to you, well, I'm, I'm a pragmatist. I have to see it to believe it. They're, they're from Missouri. You know, show me. Then I'll believe it, right? And they think faith is ignorant. It's not scientific. There's no evidence. But they live by faith every day of their lives. You think about it. They get sick. They go to a doctor whose name they can't pronounce. Gives them a prescription they can't read. They go to a pharmacist they don't know who gives them some chemical compound they don't understand. They go home and take it religiously. That's faith. <laughs> Doubt says, when I see it, then I'll believe it. Faith says, because I believe it, I already see it by my faith. But is that reasonable? Say, is that reasonable? Well, what's more dependable? Your own reasoning and your own five senses or God's Word? Let me ask you, have your own five senses or your own reasoning ever deceived you? Has God's Word ever deceived you? So what is more reasonable to trust in? Thomas said to the other disciples, do you remember? He said, I have to see it with my own eyes. I have to see the risen Lord Jesus. I have to touch him with my own hands before I'm going to believe. And then Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What Jesus was saying was this. This is amazing. Faith Faith in God gives more evidence and more assurance than any physical, empirical evidence ever could. Faith doesn't make God's Word true. It's already true. But faith makes it real to the believer. Again, look at Moses, verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him, God, who is invisible. So faith gave Moses sight of the God he couldn't see and overcame his fear of Pharaoh, whom he could see. Isn't that exactly what Christians need? 
when they're going through struggles. We need that kind of faith that gives us sight to the invisible promises of God. We need that desperately to carry us through hard times. We need a clear vision of God to see through the smoke and the haze to keep trusting Him. Listen to what Peter said about our faith in Jesus. 1 Peter 1.8 Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Only faith can bring this, this love and, and inexpressible joy. Faith makes Jesus a reality in your heart and mind. And faith, the, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, is simply trusting that everything spoken by God is true. And the things that were and are and will be are exactly as God has said they will be. The patriarchs who received God's promises had this kind of faith. Look at verse 13, chapter 11. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. That's amazing. But having what? What does it say? Seen them. Having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So they died in faith. They didn't die in sight. But faith gave them evidence, even on their deathbeds, that, that heaven is real. But even more than that, faith gave them a foretaste of glories divine. They had a taste of it while they were still on this side. Faith gave them that reality. Wow. This is how Paul could be so confident to say, Romans 8, 18. He said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, think about the sufferings of this present time in your own life. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul had a foretaste. He had a foretaste of the other side. His faith gave him that assurance. Wow, it's good stuff. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not yet seen. Now, keep that definition of faith in mind. We're going to see it fleshed out now in verses 29 through 40. And this, this passage blows the smoke away about what faith is and what kind of life faith guarantees. This passage tells us that sometimes through their faith, God miraculously spares His children from suffering. And sometimes... Through their faith, God gives His children grace to endure suffering or even death. But God is big enough to be trusted through anything He puts in our path. So sometimes, first of all, faith results in miracles and deliverance. Look at verse, beginning in verse 29 through 35. When I say miracles, what I mean is that God, a miracle is when God works a wonder that is supernatural. He doesn't work through the natural laws that he's created. It's a supernatural interruption of the God-ordained laws of creation. So look at verse 29. It's not natural for water to be piled up like a wall. That's a miracle from God. And by faith in God, his people pass through the Red Sea as if they were walking on dry land. Verse 30. It's not natural for the the massive walls of Jericho, and archaeologists have discovered these walls. They were so wide on the top, you could, you could run two, 
two chariots side by side on top of the walls. It's not natural for, the, for those walls to fall down flat just because some people march around, blow some ram's horns, and yell really loud. That's a miracle of God. In response to people who obeyed God and did what He asked, even though it seemed ridiculous. Look at verse 33. It's not natural for hungry lions to turn down tasty Middle Eastern food when it's shoved in their faces. But God blessed Daniel's faith and shut the lion's mouths. Verse 34, it's not natural for men to be able to walk around in a superheated furnace and not burst into flames, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted in the power of their God, and God quenched the power of fire. These, these are miracles. There's no natural explanation. But they're done in response to the faith of His people. And God absolutely can do miracles today in response to the faith of His people if He desires to do so. Some of you have seen answers to prayer that cannot be explained any other way. They just can't be explained any other way. I'll share something interesting. Uh, I'm sure you've heard Angelo quote Charles Spurgeon, uh, probably my favorite preacher of all time. Spurgeon was a British preacher in the 1800s, about as far from a, a Pentecostal faith healer as you could get. But Spurgeon was a man of prayer, And in the midst of a cholera epidemic that swept through England, Spurgeon went from house to house praying over the sick and hundreds of people were healed. There was a Dr. Conwell that wrote this. He said, there are now living and worshiping in the Metropolitan Tabernacle hundreds of people who ascribe the extension of their life to the effect of Mr. Spurgeon's personal prayers. They have been sick with disease, nigh unto death. He has appeared, knelt by their beds, and prayed for their recovery. Immediately their health returned, the fevered pulse became calm, the temperature reduced, all the activities of nature resumed their normal functions within a short and unexpected period. And and Spurgeon vehemently denied that he was any sort of a faith healer, but God responded to his faith with miracles. Faith means trusting in the God who can do what's humanly, naturally, scientifically impossible because He is God. Do you believe that? He's able to do, as Paul said in Ephesians, exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we could ask or even think if He chooses to do so. But I would say this. I would say faith is not believing that he will. Faith is believing that he can, if he wills, right? But what the writer says next is just mind-blowing. Sometimes faith results in suffering and death. Now look at verse 35. We can read this and read right over this and miss what it's saying here. Verse 35. Women receive back their dead by resurrection. Yes. But some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking, flogging, even chains, imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. There's no break between those who were miraculously delivered and those who were tortured and killed. The writer doesn't even pause for a breath 
Some escaped by faith. Some endured by faith. Look at verse 35. It says they were tortured. The, the, the Greek word here, it's a word, timpanizo. Timpanizo. Oh, Angela, does that sound familiar? There's a musical instrument called a timpani, right? It's a, it's a kettle drum. So timpanizo, this was a torture that involved stretching a person over a, this large, like, kettle and beating with clubs or dismembering the person. Uh, this happened to Eleazar. He was a 90-year-old priest during the Maccabean Revolt because he refused to eat pork. Jeremiah was beaten, thrown into a muddy cistern. He would have died there if they hadn't pulled him out. The pagan priests under King Manasseh, a king of Judah, King Manasseh, worst king that ever lived, they laughed while Isaiah was put into a hollow log and sawn into. But in each of these instances, their torture, their mistreatment, even death, were the result of their faith, not the result of lack of faith. Like the phony prosperity preachers are going to tell you, right? God wants everybody healthy, wealthy, and wise, you know? And they've got the big white teeth and the abs and everything, right? And they don't know what to say after a disaster because that doesn't fit their theology. It wasn't because these people lacked faith. It was through their faith. They're heroes of faith. That's amazing. Don't ever let anyone tell you that when a Christian suffers, it has to be because they lack faith. That is a lie. You can be God's precious child and still suffer greatly in this life. You can be living in faithful obedience to God and be mistreated, mocked, tortured, and even killed. And God is still for you. Your faith is the evidence that God is for you. But your faith is no guarantee that you'll be spared suffering in this life or that you won't lose everything you own in a fire. I, I was just catching up with my wife Janice last night. She wasn't able to come with me, but we've got a dear, dear friend. Been a part of our church for years. This gal's younger than I am, and yet she has this disease that has just got her pretty much on her deathbed. Uh, myself and another guy from the church went over there the other day, and we're just singing, singing some praise songs to her. And she can hardly speak, but she had her hand lifted up just with tears running down her face given praise to God. She's never been closer to Christ, I'll tell you. Never. It's like she's got, I envy her. She's got one foot on the other side. I'm like saying, what is it like? But faith, but faith is no guarantee that you're going to be spared that type of thing. It says right here, some mothers saw their dead children raised. Others saw their children tortured. Both groups were beloved by God. And let me add this, they're all in heaven right now, right? We see this with Jesus' own disciples. In Acts chapter 12, 1 through 3, just listen. Acts 12, 1 through 3. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. He wasn't looking for a chess partner. He was going to cut Peter's head off, right? 
just the way he did James, but he never got the opportunity. God miraculously intervened with an angel who set Peter free. Remember that? Peter could hardly believe what was going on. And then he killed Herod. Hmm. Wasn't God able to save James? Did God love James just as much as he did Peter? Yes. Yeah. Ah, maybe James had less faith than Peter. No, no, no. One died by faith. The other escaped by faith. And, of course, we need to add, eventually, Peter died by faith also, right? According to legend, he was crucified upside down. And Paul, who, who was spared by God on so many, many occasions. You know, Paul says, I've been in rivers. I've been subject to bandits. I've been shipwrecked. He goes on and on, man. Everything happened to that guy. Eventually, he was beheaded under Nero, right? By faith. The Lord Jesus lived by faith in his Father while he was on earth. Isn't that right? So it's kind of hard for us to think, well, Jesus is God. And, you know, that's, you got to listen to, and to Angelo speak some theology on that, right? And explain that. Jesus is God in human flesh, but he trusted in his Father. He trusted in his Father during his days on this earth. Peter says he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus had an unbroken, uninterrupted faith in God. And before it was his time, no one could lay a hand on him, right? Remember that time in Nazareth when he had spoken in the synagogue and they didn't like what he said. They were going to throw him off the cliff and he just walked through their midst. But when his hour had come, his father delivered him up. He spared him not. And it was all due to faith, not lack of faith. That's the point. Faith doesn't promise we won't suffer in this life. It promises that nothing can separate us from the love of God in this life and in the next life. My brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, the faith that delivers one Christian from suffering and death and the faith that enables another Christian to endure suffering and death is the same faith in the same God. It's not two different kinds of faith. Faith trusts in God and His Word through it all, through good times, through bad times, when you have friends, when you don't have friends, when your job and your marriage are happy and fulfilling and when they're not. When a child is born beautiful and healthy and when a child is stillborn. I've been in both hospitals. I've held both kinds of children. And faith can carry a child of God through both. So whether the fire takes your home or spares your home, we accept them both because faith knows with certainty that everything that comes into our lives comes from the hand of our all-powerful, all-loving, all-merciful Heavenly Father. And it's all for our good, Romans 8, 28, all for our good. I mentioned that Spurgeon had a gift of healing. The other side of the coin is Spurgeon himself and his wife Susanna were very ill for most of their lives. This is something that a lot of people don't know about Spurgeon. I mean, the, the guy, he, he did so much writing. He did so much preaching. He started, started all of these orphanages. He died when he was 58 years old. 
Amazing thing. His wife was practically an invalid for most of their marriage, missed most of his sermons. Couldn't listen on the phone app either. And Spurgeon suffered horribly with gout. I've got a friend that's got the gout, and man, it's, it's painful. He was out of the pulpit for months at a time because of excruciating pain and, and the dark times of the soul, he called them, just utter depression. In 1871, he wrote this to his congregation while he was home in bed. He said, the furnace still glows about me. Since I last preached to you, I've been brought very low. My flesh has been tortured with pain. My spirit has been prostrate with depression. Yet in all this, I see and submit to my Father's hand. With some difficulty, I write these lines in my bed, mingling them with the groans of pain and the songs of hope. I am as a potter's vessel when it's utterly broken, unless useless and laid aside. Nights of watching, days of weeping have been mine. Spurgeon didn't lack faith. God performed miracles of healing in response to his faith, but not for himself or his own beloved wife. Same man, same faith, same God. Amazing. But I was thinking, what do you think had the, the greater impact in his ministry and on his congregation? His faith that resulted in miraculous healings or his faith that endured pain and suffering when God didn't heal. The world can understand a faith that trusts until it's disappointed. It can't explain a faith that keeps trusting through disappointment and heartbreak. That's the witness to the world that our God is real. Amen. Our Christ is alive. Amen. The writer of Hebrews says the world's not worthy of such people. Wow. You know, I, I think he meant that God gives us a few of those people and they're in every church. Beloved, they're in every church. They're specially called by God to suffer. And I would say to you, those of you whom God has chosen to suffer beyond anything the rest of us know, you are precious to God. You have a special calling from Him to testify of His faithfulness to the rest of us. You are a gift from God to us. Amen. So what about the Scriptures that seem to promise that God will protect His children from harm? We can't just sweep those under the carpet. We have to deal with those. What about those? One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 91. Would, would you turn there with me? Or as Manny said, scroll over to... I remember when Bibles were made out of paper. <laughs> psalm 91. It's just an amazing psalm. But listen to what it says. Verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Jump down to verse 5. 
You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Down to verse 9. Because you made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague Come near your tent. Verse 14. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So is this true or not? Is this true or not? I mean, can we trust what God says to his people in this psalm? Do you remember Matthew chapter 4? Jesus is in the Judean wilderness. I've, I've been there. Horrid, horrid, barren place. 40 days and 40 nights. Satan throws Psalm 91 into Jesus' face. Do you remember that? Jesus, if you really are God's son, you should be able to jump off the temple. No harm. That's what God said in Psalm 91. Satan's quoting scripture. He's got the little memory cards. Verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up. Lest you strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus suffered much throughout his life, right? That was a short life and he suffered much. It, folks, it didn't begin at the cross. It was throughout his childhood. Called illegitimate. Hearing what people said about his mother Mary. He suffered throughout his life. So how does that jive with what God promised in Psalm 91? I'm going to give you the answer and it's what we've already seen. Sometimes God rescues his children from suffering. Other times he gives them grace through suffering. But he always, always protects their souls from spiritual harm and promises His presence through the suffering. If you read to the end of this psalm, this is what it says. Psalm 91, 15, when He calls to me, this is any child of God, when we call on Him, He says, I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. Amen. doesn't say I will always spare Him from trouble, but He'll be with us in trouble. Always. Spurgeon wrote about Psalm 91. This is what he said. It's impossible that any ill should happen to the man who is beloved of the Lord. The most crushing calamities can only shorten his journey and hasten him to his reward. Oh, happy day, huh? Ill to him is not ill, but only good in a mysterious form. Losses enrich him. Sickness is his medicine. Reproach is his honor. Death is his gain. No evil in the strict sense of the word, can happen to him, for everything is overruled for good. Happy is he who is in such a case. He is secure when others are in peril. He lives where others die. All the same pain, all the same natural disasters, mass shootings that happen to unbelievers, happen to believers. You know, when, when, when the fire hit in Northern California, both fires, 
It's not like the, the, the Passover, the angel of death passes over the homes where the blood is sprinkled. No, no. Christians' homes burnt down. Non-Christians' homes burnt down. But nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ. Nothing. Listen, listen. Romans 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? All these happen to God's children, every single one of them. As it's written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. Hupernike, more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And only glory awaits us on the other side. And man, that's just a speed bump, folks. That's just a speed bump away. James says our lives are like a vapor. Wow. And it's glory. We really are protected from any spiritual harm in the shadow of the Almighty. Many of you know the story about the five men who were killed in 1956 trying to take the gospel to the Aka Indians in Ecuador. Jim Elliott was one of those men, right? But when Elizabeth Elliott, his widow, wrote about her husband Jim's death, she purposely entitled her book, many of you read this, Shadow of the Almighty. From Psalm 91. Wrong Psalm, right? No, right Psalm. That's the right Psalm. He perished under the shadow of the Almighty. She said this, The world called it a nightmare of tragedy. The world did not recognize the truth of the second clause in Jim Elliot's credo. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Wow, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. Some of you could stand and testify this morning. I know at least one of you that could. When you faced utter destruction of body and soul, that's when Christ saved you, right? Amen. That's when he saved you. You wouldn't trade that for anything. Wow, that gives Satan fits, don't you think? Finally, let's look at verse 39. Verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Oh, man, that's, that's incredible. So did they die thinking that God had lied to them? They trusted Him. He broke His promises to them. No, they died in faith. Why? Because they 
knew that God's very best promises won't be fulfilled in this life. Let me say that again. The very best promises of God, the richest, the most precious, won't be fulfilled in this life, but they will be fulfilled. So they believe that the best is yet to come. I hope so, don't you? Well, I hope so. I hope it's going to get better than this. They had a faith that crossed over to the other side. They had a faith that crossed over into the next life. And I want you to get this. That was the key to their faith in this life, wasn't it? That's the key to their faith in this life. A faith that can accept miracles or torture. Good in adversity. Because they were living for heaven. They were living for the next life. Look at Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Their, their faith gave them the evidence, right? They, they, could, they could see it by faith. They could see it. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear they're seeking a homeland. And this is not it. It's the next life. Look at verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Oh, my brothers and sisters, we've got a lot of pain and suffering in our church right now. It's hard for me as shepherd to leave the flock on a Sunday morning because there's so much stuff going on. There's, there's conflicts. There's people who are struggling, struggling with, with illness and temptations and things in their lives. We're suffering. We're struggling. Ultimately, the only kind of faith to get you through this hard, painful life is a faith that crosses over to the next life, right? And that faith gives us a foretaste right now of all the glory that's right around the corner. And no matter how good life is right here and right now, or how hard and painful it is and disappointing, heaven will make it worth all the waiting. One of the prophets said, you take it on faith, you take it to the heart, the waiting is the hardest part. Actually, that was Tom Petty, but sometimes you have to quote the more recent prophets. Paul said this, 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, look in the mirror. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. That's faith. For the things that are seen are transient, temporal, passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. My brothers and sisters, your home, your treasure are in heaven. Peter says, imperishable, undefiled. Jesus said, where neither moth nor rust destroy, nor thieves break in or steal. And you have the proof of that right now in your faith, in Jesus Christ. So you 
Cling to Christ. Cling to Christ. Through whatever fire, whatever flood, whatever heartbreak, whatever loss, whatever cancer, whatever prodigal son or daughter you grieve over, one day your faith will be sight. But until then, your faith is the evidence of things hoped for. The best is yet to come. Habakkuk wrote, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Oh, Heavenly Father. Father, we're just children this morning. That's all we are. We're just children. Father, this morning, we just want to crawl up on your lap and call you Abba, Father. Father, we're not asking you to be more real or more true than you are, but, Father, to be more real and to us by faith. Please, Father, give us that faith that that can go through any fire, Father. And we never change what we say about you, that you are faithful. Great, great is your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies we see, Father. For any who are struggling here this morning, Father, they might just feel like throwing in the towel. Father, I know, I know of people in my own church this morning who just have told me just this week they don't want to live. Oh, Father, strengthen our faith in you, Father. Give us your Holy Spirit to bring your word to bear on our lives, on our hearts, on our minds, on our consciences, Lord, that we would trust in our unfailing Heavenly Father and Father the proof of all of your promises, all of your goodness is when we look at the cross and see that you didn't spare your own son but delivered him up for us all. How will you not also with him freely then give us all things? So Father, if there's anyone here this morning that's never, never come to know Christ by faith, Father, I pray this morning their, their heart has been pricked and Father, they, they call on the name of the Lord to be saved. They, that they would see not only their sins and their helplessness and their hopelessness, but that their eyes have been opened to see a Savior in Jesus Christ. They can come as they are. And they'll be forgiven. They'll be saved. They'll be born again. Oh, Father, we've seen it happen over and over and over. Do it again this morning. Do it again, Father. Oh, Jesus, build your church here in Oceanside. That your name would be exalted. That you would be worshipped. If you are lifted up, you will draw all men to yourself. Thank you so much for this morning to be reminded of your faithfulness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.